Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome back to Just Another Football Podcast. As ever, joined by Ali and George and... um, we're all in slightly better spirits for this podcast than we were on the last one. Um, Thank th- God for that. Yeah, three three wins at the weekend for uh, for Arsenal, Chelsea, and Liverpool. So they're much discussed on this podcast, and I, you know, I don't see any reason to really go into it. It was three pretty good wins for for the three of them. Obviously, Liverpool bigger things to fry in, in the in the Champions League with Real Madrid coming up. Um, Chelsea pretty similar, and, and Arsenal don't have much to play for. But we are going to look at a couple of the games from the weekend. Obviously, starting with the starting with probably the biggest game of the weekend, which was the Sunday four thirty between Spurs and Manchester United. Um, as tempting as it would be to get into another of our Spurs discussions <laughs> without a Spurs representative here, um, I'm going to resist the urge to do that. As tempting as it is, and. Um, talk a bit about Man United because I think you know they're a team that are a bit of an enigma so to speak they warrant a discussion um I'll come to you Ali what, what did you make of their performance in this game just to start off with uh well I haven't watched the full game to be honest I did watch I did watch the highlight it did seem that um Tottenham created their own problems really um and it, this is again, again, we're having to jump into Jose Mourinho's back. Um, it looked, a li- uh, it looked comfortable. I don't know if I'm right in saying this, but it looked like they had the goal disallowed and they scored three more. And Tottenham, since they scored, really didn't have a much of a. Sniff. They didn't. They didn't. And um... so it's it was like I certainly have to rate Manchester United's ability to come back. They've yep. uh, won yep. most points from, from losing positions. That is, and uh, I said at the, like, probably midway through was clear that Man United was the most capable team of bouncing back and uh, c- carrying on for 90 minutes despite the circumstances, and we've seen them do it so many times, including once absolutely. after the full time because I'm still bitter about. But uh, yeah, you have to give it to them um, in terms of just their ability to, to keep going. But yeah, the, clearly the the reverse fixture didn't get to their heads because um, that was that was a big defeat for Man United. Then wasn't it six two or six one, six one, six one? Yeah, yeah. So that will m- that might have uh, played a slight part in in their minds going into the game and um avoiding another embarrassment would have been on their minds but yeah they they pulled through admirably i I think it's interesting you sort of talk about um you know they went behind and we'll we'll come on to talk about how they have gone behind a few times this season as you said they've won 28 points from losing positions which yeah puts them third in the uh for, for all time uh, points won from losing positions and there's what seven games left so if they win yeah. i think it's six more points from losing positions they would they'd have the most points won from losing positions of any team in premier league history um yeah. and, I, and you know i think there's something to be said about that certainly that as you said they've got the character to bounce back and they've shown it multiple times this season um 
Spurs didn't offer a lot, as you said. Once once it sort of went to one all, there was only one team that was was going to win that game and had the momentum. I thought it was a cagey first half, as you said. They sort of clearly. I don't want to say they're scarring there because they've had a lot of big games since then against better teams than Spurs and come out with positive results. You know they they haven't lost to any of the big teams um, since then away from home. Um, so there was no reason for them to think they couldn't get a result. I think if I'm a Man United fan, the only frustration I have is they were very proactive after half time. They clearly knew what needed to be done. They they sort of took the ball by the horns, took the game to Spurs. Um, the frustration I would have is sort of why they didn't do it sooner because they're second in the table. Um, they are playing better than Spurs. They're, the way they set up, they can cause more problems than, than Spurs do. So the, I suppose that it sort of you know warrants the question, can they keep going behind in games like this and keep coming back? And, and it might seem like a silly question because they've been doing it all season, right? But if you're looking forward, how sustainable is it to keep going behind in games and keep having to come back and, and, and winning them like they have been? Yeah, I think I'll say this. It's it's not sustainable. However, having said that, um, the character of the team is clearly really impressive. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, how how good Ole Gunnar Solskjaer must be at man management. And yeah. it's, it's proved once again. Look, he, he it, it, it wasn't a great first half for Man United. So I didn't think the tempo was there for, for me. Second half, I mean, Fred looked like a different player. I think he had the most completed passes. He had quite a few carries with, uh, with the ball second after after Pogba. He he seems to get every inch out of out of the players once they've gone once they've seen a little bit of um once they've got a bit of a challenge a little uh, and that kicks a little bit um, of energy into them. But it's not sustainable. Teams like Man City um, would. Well, gen- uh, normally te- 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 tear them apart if if they let uh, a fifteen minute period uh, of laziness in the first half go. Mm. It- it's just that this Spurs team, um, it's it- it's it's yeah. I, I, like we said, we don't want to go too much. We've said Spurs. enough about Spurs, haven't we? That's the thing. Yeah, yep. the, the 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 lack of tempo in the second half from Spurs is is, is crazy to me. The fact that they they thought they could just sit on it again. Like they did with um, with Newcastle, it's exactly the same result. What I, another thing to add would be, I mean, it's Cavani is a huge, a huge player for Man United. Yeah. He's so much 100%. better than the Martial. He's he, I, I think he's been going under the radar for quite a while. Uh, he's clearly a top striker. You saw it at the Napoli days. He was he was fantastic at PSG, and he didn't really take the limelight for a long time. He is fantastic. He's an absolute. He's just the pinnacle of poacher, um, and he, he's not too bad at pressing either. He's a bit older, but they need to keep hold of him. His contract runs up, or they're going to have to replace him. And replacing him means a sixty million pound player, in my opinion, especially uh, with this kind of market. Yeah, the the, the output that he's put, putting forward, it's similar to that of well, Lukaku pre. Uh, uh, pre-Inter, so Man United Lukaku, uh, which was still a very good Lukaku, and they they've lost him, which was a massive mistake. 
So I, d- I don't know how I, 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 they they probably do have the funds, but they could just renew a contract of a player who's who's putting out that output already. He's definitely they, they got another year, hasn't he? It. Yeah, and they, and they need a centre back, don't they? So, well, th- so... this is the thing, and this is what I'll come on to sort of ask you guys about is you know looking to next season. Where are you looking to recruit? If you're Manchester United's director of football. What are you looking at as positions to prioritise to kind of get you up to that 85 plus points mark where you can start, you know, competing for titles? Because it looks like they're going to finish second, right? So ultimately, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is going to be the manager next season. So what you've got to be looking at is, right, we finished second. We're in the Champions League for the second season running. We're, you know, solidly in the top four, you would say at this moment in time. They're well ahead of some of the teams outside the top four. Tafra's um, locked in for them. I yeah, think. so they're they're in there. But what I mean is that they should be now looking to kick on and think, okay, how can we, um, you know, press on and compete for league titles? Because they don't want to just dwindle as as, as a top four outfit. Because eventually yeah. it wears off, and and you know, if you don't invest smartly, if you don't um, make um, if you don't make transfers to improve the team, then you don't improve. Um, I think you've got to give them credit also in the sense, or, or particularly in the social, because they should have been one nil up at half time, not one nil down. I mean, the goal they had disallowed was ridiculous. I don't want to get into VAR, but it's just it, it baffles me. Um, it was a crazy week for VAR. It, it, it was, it was, um, and it wasn't the only questionable decision, as you say. Um, mm. But you know, you've got to give him credit for harnessing what would have been probably quite an angry dressing room at half-time because they've had a goal disallowed for pretty much mm. nothing. You're 1-0 down against a team that you know, you know, for all the faults that Spurs have, you probably don't need 1-0 down against them because that's how they want to play the game with a lead. Um, And he got a performance out of them. He got a tune out of them in that second half to go, do you know what? Look, lads, we're 1-0 down. We shouldn't be 1-0 down. We are better than them. Go out and play a natural game and we'll win this. And they did. It's 23, unge- 23 games unbeaten away from home now for them, which is the second longest uh, unbeaten That's run in Premier crazy. League history. So, you know, it, it, do I think they they would go on a, uh, an unbeaten run as long as this with fans in the ground? Probably not. And the only reason I say that is because they've been losing games away from home a lot of times this season. And I think a lot of times mm. they've come back in the second half. And I do think it, if you're trying to cling on to a lead against a team that are probably better than you, which a lot of them have, um, I think obviously you need the fans to kind of get you over the line. So it's impressive yeah. what they've done with with mm. the unbeaten away record. Um, you know, they they may well break the record if they if they go the rest of the season unbeaten away from home. To go an entire Premier League season unbeaten away from home, I think only the Invincibles have done it, as far as I'm aware. I don't know if anyone else has done it. Um, so you, I mean, you have to give them credit for that. Um, I'll come to you, Ali. If you if you were in charge of Man United's recruitment for next season, what position or positions would you be prioritising most heavily? So Manchester United have the same number of defeats as Man City, but the difference is four more draws than them. So nine draws for Man United, five for Man City four defeats each and the difference is 11 points so i would want someone a lot of the draws are nil nils and one ones um i would want to get someone in that 
can turn draws into wins, if that like makes any sense. Because turn attack clearly, I'll 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 get there. Okay. Clearly, um, Edinson Cavani hasn't had a, a like as much game time as I would have expected a striker of Edinson Cavani's caliber would. I in an ideal world, Erling Holland would would probably be the dream for Man United, in in terms of the way they play, like the absolute dream. He he would fit in perfectly, but I don't know if that will happen. Um, but I would also want someone to protect the defense better, rather than necessarily a central defender. Although they would do with with adding a, a central defender too, ideally. Yeah. Um, I would get a proper anchorman, like a, a proper DM, maybe a Fabinho-type defensive, but also good on the ball, playmaker, that kind of thing. I would get a uh, a striker, and I would get a center back. Those would be my three positions to bolster. Um, in that in order? terms of... In, in order of importance... Yeah. Hmm, that's such a good question. In order of importance, I would say you have Cavani, use him more, try to manage his fitness somehow, but you really, really need a, a DM. You really need a DM. Yeah. As good as the uh, double pivot uh, McTominay and Fred are at time, good <sighs> at, um, are good at times. Um, and I love Scott McTominay. Really? You. Yeah, I I, I <laughs> like Scott McTominay a lot, wow. uh, and I would love to have a Scott McTominay type player at Man United because when Scott McTominay performs at his best, he is immense in my opinion. Um, the the game that time kind of typifies what I think of McTominay is the Leeds United game when and he scored two the first ten, and I know that's like a a game that doesn't happen a lot uh, where the same box to box player scores two goals. Uh, but the, his general play that game was was fantastic, and uh, it, it kind of told me a lot about him, about what he's capable of at his best. But in in um, in some situations, you want someone to uh, to provide more protection to the defense than a Matic or a double pivot Scott McTominay and Fred. So mm. this is yeah, where we're going to disagree. Clearly, not really. Really great defensively. Yeah, disagree. This, this is where we're going to disagree. To be fair, That's what we're here for. Um, I, I totally agree with you with regards to their first position. They should be looking to get someone in is in that defensive midfield area. Where I'm going to disagree with you is on the two they've got there at the moment. I think they're dreadful. I think for where Man United want to be as a two. If either mm-hmm. one of them was at the level required, they wouldn't both be playing. And that's the problem they've got is they kind of, the two of them do the job of one person because neither one of them is quite there. More, more so Fred than McTominay. McTominay, I think, he, he works mm-hmm. as a box-to-box option. I think Fred is appalling. I think if he hadn't scored on Sunday, it's just such a poor performance all round. I, 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 I don't know what he's in there to do. I really don't. I think he's so limited technically to be clear i agree on fred yeah yeah, yeah, i gave a lot of praise for mctominay because of what he's capable of at his absolute best i think Um, he's just going to play as a two um yeah you if if you do get a dm you could 
you could see Scott McTominay dropping and maybe Pogba playing a center mid if he doesn't leave, if he sticks around. Yeah. And uh, maybe a Bruno Fernandes playing a, a more of a number 10 role or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, like, as a as a two, they're they're okay. In, in, the, the, in, like, they've, they've worked all right. No, they have. They have. In my opinion. And, and let so. me make it clear why I think... Yeah. Uh, maybe the word dreadful is a bit strong. But if you look at some yes, of the games, <laughs> if you look at some of the games they've drawn nil nil this season, part uh-huh. of the reason they've drawn nil nil this season, and you might say, okay, but they're playing as defensive players. They're in there to shield the back four and keep a clean sheet, and then it's up to the attacking players to to go and win the game for Man United. But the problem you've got is when you play the two of them, neither of them can pass water. Right? They're very poor with the ball at their feet, particularly Fred. Um, and what ends up happening is you have this kind of disconnect where they turn into almost a bit, a bit of a bat six where they just sit on the back four and then you've got those two in front. Now, part of it is that they themselves are limited and part of it is they're trying to protect the back two who don't have the kind of speed and mobility to, to cope with counterattacks and sort of get dragged wide and out of position. They, they very much need to be shielded, which is why I think mm-hmm. a centre-back sort of is, almost, uh, uh, is also something they should be focusing on in the summer. Um in a lot of those games, the reason it's ended up so cagey is because of that double pivot. It just doesn't... There's Neither one of them are going to pass through the lines on a consistent basis. Neither one of them really carries it uh, between the lines. McTominay is a box-to-box player, but he's not someone to move you up the pitch. He's someone to kind of... If you get him on the edge of the area, he can get on the end of things. You know, he might turn into a goal-scoring midfielder. But I don't think he's kind of that progressive number eight that you need in there. So, you know, I'm, I'm aware I've kind of made my feelings clear on them. I want to bring George into the discussion because I've been talking about it for a while. Like, Man United are, you know, a pretty close rival to Chelsea when it comes to looking to push on next mm. season. <laughs> when I say to you, what would you like to see them do? It's almost what would you yeah. not like to see them what do? Would. What would worry you as if, if they did uh, in the transfer window? Man United, they're an enigma. They're like what? Said at the start. Like, are they good? Are they good? No. Um, so what, good, are they good? Where do they need to strengthen? Well, it, it's interesting because you you think first. Well, where do you need to strengthen? Are they they need to they need to be more clinical. They need to score more goals. Yeah. Um, you know, Martial's not good enough. So you think, okay, you know, Cavani's getting on. Maybe maybe replace him with Haaland. And then you're like, ah, but actually, they don't they don't have a they don't really have like a, a natural right winger. Uh, Rashford yeah. likes being on the left. No, they don't. Greenwood can play there, but I'd rather. I'd, I'd, he's a know, striker, I'd, isn't he? I'd, I'd rather Greenwood up front. Although he's, he's crossing, his crossing was good. Yeah. But yeah. again, I don't know if you want to rely on like a young player like Greenwood. So you're thinking, ah, oh, maybe maybe you need a Sancho. He's cover, um, isn't he, for like whoever yeah, they yeah. would bring so, in. So, so the, and then you're like, okay, well, let's have a look at their their defensive midfielders, and you got. McTominay, Matic, and Fred, and you're like, ah, oh, well, well, actually, maybe we need a Declan Rice or, a, or someone even better, but um, that, there's not a lot out there at the minute, you know, Kante, but that's not achievable, is it? So yeah. uh, that's it. So it, it would be someone like a Declan Rice, and then you're like, ah, oh, Lindelof, Maguire. That's it's uh, the only the only positions you you think are comfortable are, are the attacking midfield role, the wing. Wing backs and the goalkeeper, and you, they they can't replace Maguire because they spent eighty million pounds on him. So they're going to have to replace, if anyone, Lindelof. Um, 
even though I'd say Lindelof is probably the better of the two, but then they're, they're not going to drop Maguire. They can't. I think Maguire's been good this season. I don't like him. Yeah, right? no, I agree. And I don't, I, no, I, I don't want to force an agenda here, right? Because I've made my views mm-hmm. pretty clear on the guy. I think he's a limited footballer, and I think for 80 million, yeah. you need more than that, right? But I totally agree. Like because they paid that eighty million, they have to play. Him. They have to play him. And actually, to give him credit, I think since obviously he was dreadful in the corresponding Tottenham fixture earlier mm. this season, then he got sent off for England, and I think since then he's he's been good. You haven't people. He's at his best when people aren't really talking much about him. Because when people yeah. are talking about him, it's always criticism, and it's criticism because of the price and and what you expect with that. I 100% agree. So so what I would say, though, is do, do you want a world-class defender next to him? Yes. I mean, if you want to challenge oh, the definitely. titles, and you look at the defence of, um, for example, City. For example, City's Maguire is John Stones. And now I'd say they're on comparable levels. Uh, you know, they, they're comparable football players. You know, they like taking the ball. They like progressing it. But they have a mistake in them. Yeah. While Ruben Diaz is miles better than Lindelof especially as you know he, yeah. he's he's fantastic he's, he's one of the best signings the, of the Premier League era alongside Kante for, for Leicester and Van, Virgil van Dijk in my opinion or, yeah. or, or will be sorry uh, so it, it's like the core of their team all needs replacing and yet they're still second so it's a really good I, point I, I, it's really yeah. it's really interesting I don't I don't I don't know how you would pick one position and the problem is Man United never get cheap players. It doesn't matter who they bid for, the team demands a huge fee. Fred, they got for what? Like 30, 50 million. 50 million. 50, 50 million for Fred. They got, they got Van der Beek, who hasn't played for 40 million, 30 million. Yeah. I, Alex Tellez barely played, but I mean, credit to Luke Shaw, to be fair. He's. He's, he's he's been a good signing just because so, of it's put it's kind of elevated short yeah. to that level. But you you if you want to step up for titles and you look man for man at their team, you're like, well, yeah, they need Erlen Haaland, seventy eighty million, hundred million. Yeah, they need Jaden Sancho, hundred hundred ten million, hundred million was the asking price. They need Declan Rice, eighty million was the asking price for for, for Chelsea. They need a centre back. Well. We know how much centre backs cost now, yeah. especially good ones, especially world class ones. I, I don't know uh, if any team can afford the step up that it will take for them to compete with Liverpool and Man, Man City next 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 season. Uh, and so they're going to have to obviously prioritise one position, which for me has got to be the CDM role. Fred Fred's a fine backup if if you if you're playing like Europa League games and you need to yeah. rotate. Yeah. Um, but but if you want to be challenging for titles, now you've got you've got to you've got to have a someone who can who can who, who can protect the, the defense a lot better than that. Totally but yeah, that, that's my priority. No, I totally agree. Uh, I I think you can like there is Manchester United need to start recruiting properly, and by that I mean start looking mm-hmm. at other leagues other than the Premier League and the very obvious big names they get linked to every Agreed. year. Um they're like Lesser City bought Wesley Fofana. He's mm. been excellent. Uh, how much did he cost? One quarters of a Harry Maguire. Um so the like it is possible to recruit in in any position, in any number of positions you want, 
if you do it properly and and spend smart rather than look to the big flashy names your sancho uh, holland rice the same boring transfer yeah. rumors we the, hear the, the... every single year um i would i like if i was a man united fan i would love to get a transfer rumor about a player i've never heard of for once like let's okay who is this guy let's learn about him more and when we do let's get excited about it rather than man united are interested in jaden sancho like ferguson did that so well ferguson did that so well he'd buy obviously the marquee signing but then he'd get two or three signings that you're like well who who, who are they? You know, Sinji Kagawa. Like, I, I, I'd never heard of the lad. And he was, he was a good... Have a lot of success. He was a good... Fireball. No, but he was, he was a good role. Like, uh, like um, he had a role in that team that was still winning things, right? Um, and they're too late to players. For example, you look at players like Basuma. If they had gone and got Basuma, he'd be perfect in that role. In the uh, uh, the Brighton player who who's getting a lot of attention now, but we knew that he was this good last year. So it's it's a it's a yeah. It, it, they need to be smarter. They need to be quicker. They need to identify talent that obviously people are going to be looking at, but aren't mainstream. Yeah, that that I think that the, the way you'd sum their transfer strategy up is it's reactive rather than proactive. Mm. So, as you said, they're kind of reacting to, you know, after a few teams maybe get linked with someone or someone is obviously good, that they're then on to it rather than sort of identifying the talent and, and and being hot onto it a few months beforehand. And as you said, because of that, the value just gets driven up and up and up. And then there's that premium they're going to pay, as you said, because they're Manchester United. So whoever they go in for, you can tag 20 million on top of whatever the asking price is. Because it just it comes with the territory. United tax, absolutely. Um, but you know, it, I think they've got reason to be optimistic ahead of next season because I think there are a lot of oh, other course. teams. You know, George said they need to compete with Man City and Liverpool. I think Man City are a shoe in for that. I think Liverpool have got work to do. I think if you're going into next oh, season, yeah, I don't think it's obvious that Liverpool finish above Man United, right? And then you've got Chelsea. Chelsea have got work to do in the transfer window, and they're well ahead of Arsenal and Tottenham at this moment in time. So. You know, as much as I agree with you guys, like it because they need to improve the core of their team. It's mad, as you said that I think it was a really good point. They're second, but all the positions you'd associate with the core of a team, centre back, centre midfield, striker, they're what win you league titles and they're positions they need to improve. And it's not gonna come cheaply. But having said that, they've still got the makings of a good team they should finish in the top four next season and they should be looking to certainly kick on and close the gap i think they need a trophy this season right they're, they're favorites to win the europa league they're going to go through arsenal are sure as hell you know it's a one-off game <laughs> if they play them in the final but i don't even think we're going to reach the final i think we're going to go out i really think there's a shock in store so and mm. even if they play us in the final they have to be think i know they've got a poor record against us but if you're them you have to be winning that game we're going to oh, finish 8th or ninth. They have to win it. There's zero excuse yep. for him not to win it. And that's the only kind of question mark against him at the moment for me as a manager. Um, aside from, you know, maybe I don't rate him tactically. But when it comes to getting a team over the line, not getting them into a position where they can win things or 
you know, kick on. When it comes to actually delivering, winning the European trophy, winning the FA Cup, it's still a trophy, right? They got to the League Cup semi-final two years in a row. You've got to deliver. You have to get a team over the line. You have to instill that winning culture. And he hasn't shown yet that he can do it. So I think it's much He's more important. It's, yeah, he is close. And I think it's much more important than maybe people let on that they do win a trophy this season. Because then it kind of eliminates all that doubt going into next season. You've got mm. a European trophy tucked away. You're in the top four. You've got a you know, sizable transfer uh, budget, much more than other teams, certainly. So um, I hope they don't do any of those things, by the way, because I can't stand them. But from an objective point of view... Understandable. I think they've got. I think they're in a good position to to kind of move forwards. Um, moving on, I think the other sort of talking point or um, you know notable game from from the weekend was was Leeds' win against Man City. Um, Ali, Can I just give a, a go, quick go shout it. out to the Leeds uh, United channel a radio co commentator on the Stuart Dallas goal at the end. He, uh, it was if you if you haven't watched it, check it out. It's uh, the commentary of that is is truly spine tickling. He um, he is he's always been great, Ali. To be fair, I've listened to quite a lot of, lot of his um his his commentary because because my my friend is a Leeds fan. Leeds as a he, Chelsea he normally fan. goes absolutely oh. elite. Yeah, yeah, yeah our, our friends with a Leeds fan. <laughs> yeah, imagine. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he's fantastic. What um what I would say about the Leeds game. Sorry to cut you off. Yeah, go for it. Ali, but, um, oh. You don't normally say this about a, a Bielsa side, but what a scout. What a fantastic... He snatched the uh, the win there. You normally think of a Bielsa side dominating a game, dominating chances. He's, he had two shots on target, I think, scored them two both. Two shots, two goals. Yeah. Two shots, two goals. Yeah. It's a scalp. You look at the possession stats, the, the passing stats, the shot stats. Even the running stats. Him. For the first time yeah. this season, they were outrunning a game. And obviously, the red card changes it hmm. but what i would say with the red card came at half time so uh, they um and they still won the look but they it was like a, it was, uh, people are going to crucify me but looking at the stats not looking at the play because i know the play is obviously completely different it, it's a sam allardyce it's a sam allardyce wow. victory looking at a percentage <laughs> football it's it's percent it's percentage football 100% shots on target to goals. You know, it's 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 incredible. Like um but I obviously Bielsa didn't play like that even with 10 minutes. Let, let me let me play devil's advocate, right? And I know you're not really criticizing them. And no. you can't when they win 2-1 against Man City. No. But All right. surely it's a positive thing as well that they've shown they can actually do that other side because I think one of the things that's been one of the criticisms that's been leveled at them this season is yeah, they're great when they're playing this really expansive football and going man-to-man and running teams off the pitch, but they can't defend, they can't keep clean sheets. And they're, you know, if, if you have any sort of ball carriers or people that can turn or find a pass, then they're easy to play against. Well, Man City have a team full of them and they're able to win the game with 10 men and, and win in a way that, to be fair, they haven't really shown that they've, that they've been able to do throughout mm-hmm. the season. So I think they deserve a lot of credit for that. I really do. No, I agree. Agreed. Yeah, it, and it was very deliberate too. Um, the the amount of distance John Stones carried with the ball at his feet and the heat map. Uh, uh, if you go if you go on uh, SofaScore and uh, check out um, John Stones' heat map from the game, he is literally a number ten. So <laughs> and and clearly, like Stuart Dallas at the end of the game when he scored that goal, ran into the space John Stones was leaving behind. 
So it was uh, Johnson Stone's covered 700 meters with the ball at his feet. Mm. Um, so it's it very deliberate, like, as you said. It's very deliberate. It's very like from the start, uh, even um, before the red card. But after the red card, you saw the substitution straight away, even a minute before halftime. Stuart, uh, Patrick Beffer going out and Strap uh, coming in, who's a center back. Um, so, and that was because the need for a striker wasn't there anymore because you you have a lot of runners, including Dallas, including Rafinha, that can uh, that can make late runs in behind and someone can can try to find the through ball or Melier. Melier's pass map, um, that, that was on a great piece on The Athletic, by the way, um, analyzing the game and seeing like, how, how Leeds went on about their, mm. you know, their tactical decision-making against, uh, against City that particular game. If you see Melier's passing map, it's all down the sides because he's trying to find the runners because Manchester City's line is so high. Um, yeah. And there wasn't as much pressing because they were trying to cut passing lanes from John Stones um, or whoever else, but it was mainly John Stones because he was the number 10, apparently. Uh, it was such a fascinating game because watching Leeds United just sit back and try to shield the the ball from going into their area rather than press, it was just surreal mm-hmm. to see. And it really, it, it really just showed how in in so many ways Bielsa is capable of adapting to a situation oh, absolutely which was which is just you know and a lot of people is a bit of a meme about like coming third when in the, like best manager of the year when he's just won a championship um and now he's getting talked about for pfa manager of the year which i disagree with both but he's yep. clearly just i mean it's funny so you bring that up good. it's funny you bring that up right mm-hmm. so looking at the table apart from having a weirdly symmetrical record just looking at this 14 wins 14 losses 49 goals for 49 goals against oh wow <laughs> zero goal difference zero goal right. difference wow. tenth in the table leads are um, when yeah. you look at it, and maybe what you're expecting for them at the start of the season, and what they've delivered so far, and you know you expect them to finish the season, you know, in a pretty, they're not going to finish lower than twelfth. Looking at it, they're seven points clear of twelfth, so they're going to finish anywhere between probably ninth and eleventh, right? When when you look at that, how have they done this season based on maybe what you're expecting of them? Have they met expectations? Have they underachieved or have they overachieved? Uh, you go for said that, George, yeah. because I, I, um, I have to think about this a little bit. It's a tough question. I I, I, it I, is. I mean, th- there's a potential for like for for that seventh place spot. They're four points off Tottenham, so I mean, obviously, yeah, I was sort of... at the end of the season. Yeah. Um, but 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 have they exceeded expectations? I think the problem is they've obviously exceeded expectations as a newly promoted side. Like, you, you, the, the Sheffield United, obviously, last season was completely freak. We know that now. Um, they, they did really well to get, get into that position. Newly promoted sides tend not to do so well, like, uh, as they, apart from Wolves, Sheffield, and... Wolves are a bit different as well, because they were spending heavily, weren't they, in the championship? I think the, the only reason why you would say no, they haven't exceeded expectations, is because of the the whole um, Bielsa narrative of Bielsa being like so good, and he is 
And that's the problem is like he is so good. So you almost want him to be competing for Europe straight away, even though that's ridiculous, you know, like especially with the squad and the finances they've got. So yeah, they definitely they definitely over overachieved, even though there's like this weird thing in the back of my mind that says, Oh no, they've got the best manager in the world, they claim. You know, they should be um competing for, for Europe. But you look at the teams above them, Arsenal. Everton, Tottenham, Liverpool, Chelsea, West Ham, Leicester, Man United, Man City, all established Premier League teams. Yeah, they can't they can't ask for much more. They can't be expected to finish yeah, above. Yeah, you can't any be expected to be at the start to, of the to do any more at the start, start of this. It's season. Just, I suppose you you and I'll let Ali come on to this in a second and give his view on it, but I suppose you can't it's difficult to look at it from the perspective that you would have had at the start of the season and what you'd have been expecting from them because you've kind of had the wisdom of watching them and seeing how it all unfolds and, you know, maybe thinking if they picked up a point there or, or been a bit more solid mm. there. I don't have any particular games in mind, but you're always going to wish for more, I suppose, for a team or, or think they could have done more apart from obviously if you win the league. Um, mm. So for me it's a met expectation because as you said I I think I watched them last season they played Arsenal in the FA Cup and they played us off the park for 45 minutes like I, I genuinely I remember that like, a, a team didn't I mean maybe Man City to be fair but we had an interim manager there was sort of you know exceptional circumstances apart from them I didn't see a team do that to us all season at home it was I mean, it was unbelievable what they did for 45 minutes. And it was kind of at that point, I thought, okay, if they were in the Premier League, where do I think they would be? And and, and to be honest with you, I did think, yeah, probably mid-table established Premier League. And if you look at it now, that that's pretty much where they are. So that that's my take on it. Ali, feel free to you know give yours. You've had when time to think about it. Up, yeah, when a team comes up, you generally, that's a very general thing you expect them to kind of struggle in the first season. When when Leeds played Liverpool in the first game, I was really torn on... They were so good going forward, and they scored three goals. But conceded at, four. At a time that Liverpool were excellent and full strength. Yeah. But they did concede four, yeah. and one there was one moment where Luke Ayling was pressing Sadio Mane as high as Liverpool's 18-yard box, and Mane just turned nutmegged him and just went on and the the gap in behind we created a chance from that gap behind obviously if i remember correctly but i remember that particular moment of ailing just pressing that high and teddy manning just mugging him off and going forward yeah and and at that point and throughout the rest of the game i was like this is what are you doing like what are you trying to do in, like, remember Norwich last season where we were saying, oh, it's, yeah, it looks how, like how admirable yeah. is it? Yeah, yeah. How admirable is it that they're playing their own football and they're uh, they're trying to their best to stick their to stick to their way of playing? And at that point, I was like, no, we can't do that. Like, this is unrealistic. It's crazy. And uh, other points of the season, I thought the same. But you like solid mid table, just. I think, Mid, and at times they've they've had some injuries to their back line. Well, yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? They've had a the lot back. of injuries to centre backs. Like they signed, I think they signed Lorente and, and Cock in the summer, and both of them have been injured mm-hmm. at, at, yeah. for large parts of the season. So there are kind of it mitigating be... circumstances for their defensive of course. frailties. Absolutely, and it would it would be incredibly harsh to say, in my opinion, say anything other than like at the very very least met expectation, if not 
overachieve them slightly mm. um, because I like with any promoted side I would I would suggest that they would be there or thereabouts at the lower end of the table which for large stretches of the season they weren't and they look they look set for a mid-table finish here and mm. I, I think they're probably one or two like more quality additions and, mm. and BLs is staying from um from kicking on and potentially going for Europe even. Well that's the um, thing, isn't so, it? Yeah. If you look at them right and, and like you mentioned on that first game, you think, can they play like this? And do you know what? Against Liverpool, and I know it ended four three, they probably mm. can't, right? They've taken a few beatings along the way. Man United beat them heavily. Um mm. they've had a couple of other, you know, heavy defeats away from home against some of the big teams. You probably can't play that way game to game. However, they've won fourteen games this season, right? That's more than Arsenal. It's the same amount as Tottenham, same amount as Everton, and it's one less than Chelsea and Liverpool. And this is the thing. Because of the way they play, they're going to pick up wins. They're not going to draw 15, 20 games a season, right, and end up near that 38, 40-point mark. So the ceiling Mm. for their season overall is is therefore higher because they can be more front-footed and aggressive and they can win more games just because of the way they play. And I think that's their philosophy. They know they're going to take a few heavy defeats along the way. They could have lost 7-0 on that first game, right? They could have. I'm not saying based on how the game went, but they could have gone into it knowing that, do you know what? The way Liverpool play, it's dangerous. We could get a mauling here. But there's that kind of trust in the process. And it obviously comes from the manager and he's got a track record of doing this and playing this way and it, and it having success. And I think it really stands them in good stead going forward. As you said, if they make a couple of quality additions for next season, then there's no reason to think if you if you look at the likes of Tottenham and Arsenal rebuilding and I'm not thoroughly convinced by Everton, there's no reason to think they can't push, you know, at least close to those European places. I think they're certainly looking up instead of down, I suppose is my overall point from that. Yeah. Um, if if, uh, if Bielsa stays, if he doesn't, yeah, then you could still potentially look for a kind of mid table. Well, I think finish. that's when it changes. I think that's when it could potentially change. When you look at the group of players they've got, yeah, um, yeah exactly, exactly. Moving on, it's sort of it is football related, but it kind of stems a wider conversation. Obviously, at the weekend there was uh, there was an incident with three of the Leicester players who were left out the squad for the defeat against West Ham at the weekend. And it sort of transpired after the game that the reason they weren't in the squad because they was because they'd breached uh, COVID protocols, right? Now, I'm pretty sure we all agree that on this podcast, uh, that as a footballer, you, even as a person, you have a duty to not host gatherings like they were found to have done after the game. However... <sighs> You know, the issue I've got with it, I suppose, is it puts the club in a really awkward position because they've got an FA Cup semi-final next weekend and are they going to be brought back in for that? I know the manager said they have, they are going to be. But, you know, the, the, the problem is as well, Leicester as a city in the UK, I don't know how aware of this you are, Ali, they've been one of the worst hit cities in the UK with COVID. So they were one of the last cities last summer... They were in, a, I think it was a hundred days yeah. extra lockdown compared to the rest of the UK, which sort of started opening up in sort of early May. They weren't until the end of summer. Mm. So it really puts the club in a bad position. And, and I'm sure we all agree they were right to leave them out. But 
it's just an awkward one. It kind of stems a wider conversation about footballers because they are human, but they have to set an example for everyone else. I, I suppose is the kind of main takeaway from it. For me, yeah. you look at the, the the three players involved: Chowdhury, uh, Madison, and I, was it? Ozy Paris hosted, yeah. Right, all of them are under twenty five, I think, or twenty six and under. Um, footballers at the minute for some reason, are treated as an exception. They're not treated as normal workers. And when that happens, the complacency kicks in. We've seen it in England with, with Greenwood and, and, and Phil Foden. We're seeing it with, with Jack Grealish holding a party uh, after expressing how, how vigilant we should all stay. Yeah. We're seeing it again with Leicester. We saw it with Callum Hudson-Odoi. There's a Man City uh, I'm sure. Well. I'm yeah. sure there's absolutely loads and there's going to be loads that haven't been panned uh, and then you saw uh, I think it was Joe Linton was posting a picture on his Instagram when he was getting a haircut and his barber was fuming with him because obviously he's doing a professional haircut in the middle of lockdown yeah you can't do that yeah 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 and it, so it, at the same time I'm guessing that the only excuse that they can they can make uh, and it the, the 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 problem with this is you sound like a petulant child is well we're being treated as you know as as different we have to you know go out and work still and and train every day and play every day for everyone's entertainment we have tests every you know every every four days so why can't we party if it's within uh our you know our circles that that's the only thing that and that, that makes them sound like um and and they are irresponsible children and the, the the problem is is is, is the Ooh. rules that we've got. We, the rules that we've got is they are different. They can play football, and it's I, I don't want football to stop like uh, at all because it's literally all I've got holding on to right now in my football podcast and and watching football every week. Um, but it's it's that that's the, that's the only thing. Like, why are we treating them so so differently to everyone else? I mean, they should be getting fined extremely. I hope they're getting fined by the club. Mm. I hope they two weeks, three. Yeah, weeks, they're dealing with it. Maybe more. Really, so. This is this is a this is a this is a this isn't just missing training. This is a you're you're risking people, the public's health. Like, what are you doing? Like, it's yeah. I don't know. It's really disappointing. There was a incident actually. Um, it was right at the start of the season. It was in Scottish football. I think it was the Aberdeen. But it was either the no. It might have been Celtic. There's a player from Celtic who breached COVID protocols. Uh, I think he'd gone abroad. They weren't allowed to play their next two matches because of it. And I'm not... The, the, the thing is, it was sort of early on in COVID and, you know, hopefully we're kind of coming towards, you know, moving out from lockdowns and all the restrictions we've got in place. So I get that the punishment's not going to be as harsh. But I, I also understand what you're saying. Like, you have to kind of clamp down on these guys. Um, as much as I'm sort of of the opinion that we hold them to a very high standard, professional athletes, not just in terms of their profession they do, but also as people. As I said, we expect them to set an example. And, you know, there is a human side to all of this. They, they're going to make mistakes because they're not, they're not perfect. But when you're a highly paid professional athlete, as I said, you have to set an example to people that, like all of us are going through a tough time. As I said, like a lot of people in Leicester went through a tough time where they weren't allowed out for 100 days longer than everyone else. Um, so I just think you need to show a bit of appreciation for that and 
they're still being allowed to do what they love doing, which is play football. They're getting paid for it. Yeah. I know they haven't got fans in the ground, but we've been able to have a season, which I think we're all glad for and better off for having. Um, and yeah, like, that's my take on it. Now that you've been very quiet, what, do, do you... Uh, no, I, I just didn't want to jump into the conversation really, but um, uh, I, I'll disagree with the fact that because uh, COVID is slightly, um, you know, we're slightly coming out of it now that the, it, it shouldn't, the, the, sorry, the fines shouldn't be as serious or as harsh as before at the start of lockdown. Yeah. No, they should. They should be as, as harsh as you can make them. Um, this is we're going into the final six games of the season and you are putting the entire footballing pyramid at risk mm. of just getting cut off and discontinued and putting the Premier League and the EFL um, at risk of just financial ruin again, um, which, as George said, is I think it's unfortunately pretty irresponsible. Um, what can I say? It's just sad that they've they are in a top four challenge. Um, it's such an important part of their history. If they make Champions League, that that'll just transform. Rather than the one-off title win in 2016, this Champions League, and they're going into the right direction, this will just transform them it's into another... It's a huge week It's a massive week. Because then it's they've got the FA Cup as well. You get to a final... You have an FA Cup semi-final as well. Yeah, it, it, to the timing of that with like it's it's as bad now as any other timing throughout COVID. Definitely, but especially to do it now when you when you have such an important run coming up. I think, it, uh, like, even if even without COVID, you like if you're if you're gonna lose all focus on your your game and do that especially in covid times and you're really close to game day like that is it's just it's just mad it doesn't make any sense it's complacent i think is the word for it is they've kind of looked at it and things are starting to open up in the next couple of weeks and hopefully restrictions will be coming to an end and they've kind of just taken that as well we'll sort of take it upon ourselves to to breach to breach the rules because it doesn't matter as much and unfortunately guys it does and as you said they've chosen a really bad time to do it and as i said it puts the club in a bad spot they have to answer to questions that they probably don't want to be answering to at a really important time of the season for them it's, it's probably the biggest week of this and, and they end up losing the game on sunday you yeah. know it might help them to have those players available but also it's just a kind of an it's an it's just an added sort of pressure to them now. It's an added thing to have to talk about and have to deal with. Um, yeah, really poor. And the atmosphere around the club, what would it be now? What would what will the these three, or if there was anybody else, showing up to training, knowing that they're putting other players in danger Definitely. and uh, and having to, to train with them, the relationship between them and Brendan Rodgers, which, you know, you have to ask a question about Brendan Rodgers in that case, in terms of his his ability to control the discipline of the players, I suppose, which is maybe harsh and we don't know what's happening. Well, it just happening puts him in an awkward position club. as well. Yeah, exactly. 100%. It's just all. It's just all. It doesn't make any sense to have done that. And no. The like, come on, man. Let's hold for one more month. 
come on. Exactly. Well, that's the thing. You, you got a lot to look forward to as a footballer. Like next season, you got obviously the Euros this summer, but then next season, hopefully, we all get back to normal. Fans are back in the ground, and yeah. you can do whatever the hell you want in your own time. Exactly. Celebrate once you've got Champions League. You know. There you go. There you <laughs> go. Go, go. Go on the piss yeah. when you've secured it. Um, yeah, I mean that result. I'm just looking at the table. Leaves them in a really precarious position with mm. seven games to go. They're two points ahead of Chelsea. And I've said on this podcast before, we all know what their last three games are. Where they have to go to Stamford Bridge, they have to go to Old Trafford, and they got Spurs on the last day. How many points can you expect them to take from those three games? You know, it's going to be tough. And yeah, the weekend did nothing to deter the feeling, certainly for me, that they could well miss out. Um, and those players haven't helped that. Um, just to move the conversation on to something a bit different at the end. Obviously, it is topical because there's Champions League coming up this week. There was obviously the games last week. We didn't speak loads about it, but obviously the probably the most entertaining game was the the PSG or Bayern Munich PSG game, which ended three um, two. Mbappe, you know, as he usually does, emerged with his reputation even further enhanced. And obviously, there's another there's another young player in the Champions League who's you know he's not done bad for his reputation in there becoming the youngest player to ever reach 20 goals in 14 games as well in Erling Haaland what a debate we have here I mean it's staggering um pretty loaded question who would you rather have Kylian Mbappe easy answer because of uh, because he is yeah very easy um it's not to say that Erling Haaland is just an insane football player that comes up every once in a blue moon. Mm. He he is he's one of the best strikers in the world already. Uh, wait, when you answer that, in, are Champions you Champions League history already statistically? Are you talking for, from a Liverpool perspective? So you'd rather sign Mbappe for Liverpool, or do you just mean you'd rather have Mbappe full stop as a player? Good question, um, but I did mean it generally. I would rather have have Mbappe because of the fact that he, it, it's purely. I like versatile players more. It's just me. Like, that's just a thing I like. Um, that players are available to play in multiple positions and do a lot. Kylian Mbappe definitely offers more than Erling Holland. Er, Holland is, uh, and we can di- delve into the statistics for hours. He doesn't do much at all rather than, uh, other than score um remarkably although, similar i think he did provide this season. i thought he did provide the assist for uh for royce in the in the game against city i think he was the assist yeah. maker he was very quiet um, in that game though i get what you're saying he's a goal scorer um he's a runner he's he's a run at the shoulder um finish it off absolute poacher any chance you'd back him to score which it is a very valuable thing to have, obviously. Any half a chance he'll he'll get, he'll he'll score potentially. Um, about, but Mbappe just does more for me. What about you, George? Well, for, I mean, it's so it's so. I'm going to completely contradict myself because for Chelsea, if I if I was looking at it as a Chelsea perspective, I was the Chelsea director. I was looking at one of the other. Um, we need a. Arguably, people think we need, we need a striker to replace Werner. Um, Erlen Haaland is is literally the opposite of Werner. He can finish his dinner, as it were. Um, so it, it, it huh. would be it would be um, it would be 
Erlen Haaland, and yet I'm going to have to say Mbappe because I don't want to touch any any player anywhere near Raiola. Chelsea don't either. Wow. Chelsea. <laughs> Abramovich, Abramovich hates. Uh, well, reportedly doesn't doesn't deal with him. Uh, from what I've heard, I, I I I don't hate anyone in the world. I don't hate anyone, but. In, in strongly football terms, I hate him. him. Yeah. yeah, in football terms, I hate him. I think he's a stain on the game. I think they all are, though. Him. In my opinion, I, I, I think there needs to be regu- there needs to be regulation. Yeah. Uh, UEFA or FIFA, um, they need to do something. They need something needs to happen because the, the the power that agents have, not only not only to just get money in terms of he's demanding twenty million for, euros for himself and twenty million euros for. Uh, Harlan's dad. But in terms of imagine football players as, as stock, as like a, a stock. Uh, and, and I'm going to make the comparison to Elon Musk. Elon Musk made Yikes. his stock plummet because he wanted his stock to plummet because he told people to stop buying, right? Because he, he was too high. Raiola does the same thing for players, but he, he, he wants, he, he builds up media attention bad press and good press, uh, you know, simultaneously to boost prices so that he can get more money. It, it should be illegal. Like, the things he does, he shouldn't be able to do. Like, uh, genuinely, he, he, the things he says, the... the, the st- I'm not saying all um, contract negotiations should be behind closed doors because I think it's an entertaining part of football. It's a part of football that's, um, you know, everyone loves a transfer fee. Whether it's overspending, underspending, world records and stuff like that, everyone loves a story. Everyone loves a story, but the way that Raiola controls prices, uh, clubs, players, media is is is, is scary, uh, and I wouldn't want Haaland anywhere near my team if he's still got the agent. So it's so funny because for, for Chelsea, Haaland's the perfect player. Like well, yeah, uh, yeah. Around creative players like Hudson Odoi, Pulisic, Mason Mount, um, Ziyech, to get to it'd be like Dortmund, but on on crack. It would be it, it would be <laughs> just constant providing providing, um, especially in in a teacher system, providing just got you know chances for Erlen Erlen Haaland to finish. But you can't you can't you can't touch him. You can't touch him with a barge pole because he's got that agent. So it, it, it's a shame. And I look, this isn't to to, to knock at Kylian Mbappe. He's obviously, you know, but they're probably the two best players in the world at the minute. And they're so young. I mean, uh, Ronaldo, Ronaldo's doing well. Messi's obviously Messi, but but they're not really competing to the same level, especially in the Champions League. Yeah. I think um, a lot of people feel it will be those two are sort of the, the next. You're talking about... Oh, yeah. not Ronaldo versus yeah. Messi, but like when it comes to two people, I think, I think it people, is. I think it is that level. But I think people get obsessed with this idea of it. Never was this before Ronaldo and Messi, but you're trying to pit two people against each other, competing mm. for the Ballon d'Or and being regarded as the best player in world football. Um, and it might not be as simple as that. And there might be, m- yeah. you know, many more players that step forward and, and emerge as you know the next to carry carry the can. But I think. People really like the idea of these two because they're so young, yeah. because they are performing at such a high level. I mean, they've both got the same amount of goals and same amount of assists this season. 
albeit Haaland in five fewer games. So they are performing to really mm. similar levels, and those levels are elite. Um, yeah. I well, I w- would say Harry, just to just to add, yeah, you, you obviously asked asked the question, who would we rather? Yeah, and I think with that comes an assumption that, and I think it's a true assumption that both of them might have to leave to be considered. Well, that's what, person. yeah. So that's what Is I was going to say. Gonna... Yeah, so yeah. where do you think they'll actually... I mean, your question in terms of do they both need to leave to go to the next level? Mm. Certainly, go, like, feel free to expand on that. But like, where do we think we'll, they'll end up next season is kind of the first question. And then, yeah, like, do you think they need to leave their respective teams they're at at the moment to you know, enter that discussion for the world's best player? Um, I think Holland ends up at Manchester City. Um because Man City need a striker. Erling Holland will be playing at the same club his dad played in. Works out perfectly. Makes Manchester a lot of sense, City doesn't it? it? Makes a lot of sense. Um, so I think this is like this is the the boring, most obvious assumption that it can make on Holland. On Mbappe, I this is slightly less tricky. I'd love him at Liverpool. I, oh my god, I love him at Liverpool. Um, and this is a like a rumor going around for couple of years now that he might end up at Liverpool um, but it's I don't necessarily think Erling Holland, uh, sorry Mbappe needs to leave PSG as much as Holland needs to leave Dortmund, Dortmund yeah. if that makes sense, yeah, Dortmund yeah, are cool. just not at a level where they no, they're can, a feeder can compete for and they can, they can win this week in the Champions League and egg on my face and you know they can, <laughs> they can go on and win the Champions League, who knows um, but I don't think Dortmund are at a level to compete with Bayern in the Bundesliga or in the Champions League. So what's the point? Um, PSG, well, they struggled in the in league and this season, but it's uh, like they had a managerial change, and um, but they are more than capable of winning the Champions League, in my opinion. Yeah, um, definitely. Well, I haven't watched much of it, so my opinion is not the most warranted. That's but, the expectation, though, of the club. And that's exactly. where the difference is in terms of what you're that's... saying. With, with Dortmund, they're very clear in what they want to do in terms of bringing players in. And yeah. th- th- their business model is very defined. I think with PSG, yeah. it's much more about just winning and winning at all costs. Yeah. Um, sorry, I, I didn't let George answer. If, you know, feel free to... Uh, yeah. Uh, sorry, George, be... before you before you go on, because this is a really important point that I wanted to add on Holland, actually. Yeah. There is a excellent video, um, James Alcott. On, oh, yeah. James Alcott. He did on uh, Erling Holland and uh, going back to Rayola and uh, this kind of... There was... It was a, a wide-ranging video of Erling Holland as a football player and psychologically what might be going through his mind and what his next destination would be and how all that factors into Erling Holland's future. So I really recommend you go and watch that. Um, but I just... For Holland's sake, just make him make his own decisions. And on agents, and agents, we forget that they play a huge role in decision-making for the players, not only financially. And uh, this was um, a five-live EuroLeaks podcast, I think, a few weeks ago now. Uh, pretty recently, certainly, where they um, they were talking about agents and their their role in um, in not just securing the f- the the players' financial future, but also their their personal life and and well being. 
and what they surround themselves with. So there's this other perspective to agents being like really father figures for some players. And um, that's something that perhaps we don't, you know, pay attention to as much because of the media and how they portray agents. And I do dislike Mino Raiola strongly. Um, but I recommend you go and listen to that too, because it offers a perspective I, I'd never heard of before for agents. But what I would say is I would like to see Holland take his own calculated thought out decision in terms of what his next step will be and not throw himself into just a really deep pool of options that he can distract himself with and and that might affect his his performance this season uh, first of all and could be playing on his mind later on when he moves to a club and then think, oh, I could have done this, I could have done that. So I just want Erling Holland this summer to do well in terms of what he, the, the decision he takes next is. That's that's all. Really. Well put. For, for, for me, Thank you. Um, <laughs> Go it's not only that Erling Holland has to leave, that it, it, it's that he will leave. It seems inevitable. Like obviously oh, yeah, the clause, yeah. the clause is there for for next season. If no one snaps snaps him up this season, they will, I'm sure. Um, Mbappe, Mbappe doesn't have to leave. No, he doesn't. See, Mbappe doesn't have to leave. If if PSG win two, three, no, actually no, PSG would have to win four Champions Leagues within the next ten for it to be a success for Mbappe, for, for Mbappe to, to be considered the world's best. Look, maybe this is an Anglo-centric view, uh, and I certainly don't... Uh, and I'm only speaking from my own perspective, uh, and I'd be interesting to know the perspective of perhaps someone who, who follows La Liga. But, but Liga uh, is, is not as reputable as the Premier League, as La Liga. Uh, it's just It's just... For me, it's just it's not comparable in a way. Um, maybe maybe that's to do with again my bias being Anglo-centric, but also perhaps money. I mean, you look at how much Barcelona, Real Madrid, uh, and uh, and then all the Premier League teams getting in TV revenue, not in terms of how much money the actual club slash country of PSG has. Um, <laughs> country of PSG. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Barcelona are a billion in debt, so... Yeah, yes, but I'm talking not actually the actual club, I'm talking the TV money and the mm. the, the, the brand <clears throat> Yeah, uh, is, 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 is of Real Madrid, let's say, is, is, is in, and Man United. So, yeah. You know, they're incom- incomparable. Um. So yeah, I, I don't think Mbappe has to leave. I think he can break records there. I think he'll get Ballon d'Ors. Erlen Haaland's got to be really careful. Uh, he's got to be really careful what what his next move is. Um, it, does he play it safe for for a Man City where if they get him, it's not really a Man City kind of signing. But if if they get him, then then they're guaranteed the league for mm. for the next two two three years maybe. And he could make that. I mean. You look at his Champions League record, you know, 10 goals in seven games this this season. Um, that's exactly what Man City needs to do. Need, what the Sorry, the exact player that Man City need to win the Champions League, which is what Pep was brought in to do. So 
maybe they're going to bite the bullet and, and splash out for the £100 million player that, that they haven't been doing recently. They only make sort of £40, £50 million signings, but but three or four of them. Um, so, yeah, it'll be, it'll, be, it'll be an interesting Well, it would certainly be interesting if he scores the goals that put them out this week. <laughs> yeah, it would. Um, it certainly would. I, I think when it comes to Erling Haaland and looking at the potential clubs, it's sort of been widely reported, all these all these clubs that here, uh, his father and Raiola have been... It's, it's mad, isn't it? Like, usually you're trying to showcase why a club should sign you, but in this case, you've got the clubs themselves pitching to... Well, effectively, the player, the player's agent, um, and obviously his father, why he should choose them. He can go where he wants, realistically. Um, and I think you make a good point in terms of he has to pick his next move carefully. Because when you look at some of the clubs rumoured to be in for him, you've got Real Madrid and Barcelona. Barcelona more so are on a massive rebuild. Real Madrid also, ageing squad. You've got Man United, where, as we said, they're nowhere near guaranteed success next season. Um, as much as signs might be encouraging. You've got potentially Chelsea, who, again, as much as the signs have been good under Tuchel, themselves are, you know, they're nowhere near assured of winning trophies next season. So the only one I look at, and I think there's no real cons if he signs for them, a Man City, because if he goes there, they're going to win the league. I, I, I just don't see how they don't. I don't see a world yep. in which they you know they solve probably their biggest problem which has been they haven't played with a striker i know they've found internal solutions to it but if they sign him they're playing with a striker he's playing every week and he's on playing. the other hand though you could say that he doesn't work tactically for man city uh, under guardiola because of how little he's involved on the ball but i, I agree with you that right, it will yeah. be a good addition could it be anyway. coached into him though like he did it with aguero like how much was aguero involved in build-up play before pep went there and then he gets them doing it for two seasons really well and they, yeah, that's true and they win and they win two titles so i i just look at it and i think for him, if, if I was him, I'd go there. But the thing is, they've come out and they've said they haven't got the money. Now, if they don't have the money, I don't know who does, quite frankly. But, <laughs> you know, it, it, it could well be mind games from Guardiola. We sort of, he's got a track yeah. record of doing it, and a lot of managers do. Um, that That's where I'd be looking. I think with Mbappe, I think you're right to say like it's much less defined that he'll leave next season. I think he will leave at, at some point. Um, where he goes will be really interesting. Because Mbappe did uh, like there was an announcement or like a news story that came out that he will not renew his contract with PSG. So to when's that missed... up? Um, when like is <laughs> I think it's uh, like three or four. I might be wrong, but it's certainly not this summer. Yeah. So I mean, if it's three, you're kind of looking maybe next summer because then it's that kind of like two exactly. years yeah. extend or sell him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, because he it, feels to me like a Real Madrid player. I don't know. If yeah, that's, that's the that's impression true. I get. That's the gut instinct I have with Mbappe. I just see him playing for them. I, ju- I, I yeah. kind of just see him having success there. Maybe not like Ronaldo, but like... No, I agree. Christ, he could elevate them to unbelievable <laughs> level and do wonders for his career. I think it's a really interesting debate. I think you've got two world-class players that are going to be entertaining the footballing world for probably the next decade, to be honest with you. If they stay injury-free... Oh, hold on. Oh. Kylian Mbappe, according to Forbes, is on full-time contract with Paris Saint-Germain until 2022. Oh, wow. Two years, yeah. So that's like next summer. Years. That's next that's summer. Next yeah. Summer. Do you know no, what? No, that was written on the 22nd of May 2020. I don't think he renewed his contract since. So if that is correct, I mean, you'd, I mean you look in this summer, if he's not going to sign, 
They've got to sell him. He can't go for free. If he goes for free, that's a financial disaster. Yeah. I'm actually yeah, surprised. Signed it for a hundred eighty or something. When you have a player as good as that, I suppose it's maybe not as simple as going right. If you're not going to, you're not going to sign. We're going to sell you. But I'm surprised they let it get to. If that is true, a year left on his deal. That's true. Yeah, yeah. I've just yeah. The wow. transfer market of it, June 30th, 2022. Well, that's one to keep an eye on as well then, I think. So you're potentially yeah. looking at both of them moving this summer. Yeah. <sighs> I didn't think it was 2022. Wow. I mean, well. That, 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 that shocked me. Having said that, PSG are the exact, like, are the team to go, you know what? We don't need to sell him because we don't need the money. So they could just yeah. they could nah. they could see no they could see another year with Kylian Mbappe to win them the Champions League is more valuable than the hundred million pounds that they get for him. That's that on a, on a crazy, I don't think you'd get if if it wasn't a COVID affected market. I think you'd be looking upwards of one hundred and fifty million. But within a COVID affected market, I don't think you're going to get much more than a hundred for him. Especially if he's got a year left on his deal. So, I get what George is saying. A hundred million is a lot of money. I mean, <laughs> you know, for any football club, um, PSG maybe less so than ninety nine percent. But could they really just say no to that? I mean, it's a really interesting point. It's a really interesting yeah. point. Um, it's a good discussion on Mbappe and Haaland. I mean, the, you know, as I said, there's there's a lot of chapters still to be paged in this, certainly, um, as there is in this podcast. So we're going to end there for today. Thank you guys, as always. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, and happy Ramadan to everyone celebrating the weekend. Thank you very much. We'll see you on the next one.